0: There's evidence that endorphins are really helpful in how the immune system works. So if you're going on holiday and you find that you might have, if you have an autoimmune disease or an allergy or some kind of food intolerance, it might suddenly become a lot better when you go on holiday and you just attribute that to eating a different kind of food. But it might be because you're happy when you're eating and it actually boosts these regulatory T-cells that we have in our body that, that sort of gently tap the brakes on the immune system and keep it in check.
1: Welcome to the Doctor's Kitchen Podcast. And in this series, we're going to be talking about the information that frames my next book, Eat to Be Illness, that is out in March 2019. We're going to be continuing the sort of conversations that we started in my previous episodes of the Doctor's Kitchen Podcast, like eating for brain health, skin function, and mood. And we're going to be tackling lots more subjects in medicine where nutrition and lifestyle certainly have a role in this series we're going to be talking about how to practice lifestyle medicine alongside eating delicious food. Lifestyle medicine is primarily about getting to the root cause of medical problems rather than just symptom control and our plates are a useful starting point for many of my patients and as you'll find in this series lots of doctors agree don't forget my first book, the best-selling Doctor's Kitchen, is out now. So if you haven't got a copy, make sure you pick it up online or in all good bookstores. Today, I'm inviting Dr. Jenna Maciocchi. I'm probably saying that wrong. Actually, it's Maciocchi, uh, which is an Italian surname, but she's actually hailing from Scotland to talk about eating for immunity. Now, Dr. Jenner holds a PhD from the Faculty of Inflammation, Repair and Development at Imperial College, which is actually my old university. She's a lecturer in immunology at the University of Sussex, who uses rigorous scientific research with the concepts, old and new, holistic and conventional, to cultivate long-term health and well-being. Basically, a woman after my own heart. She's also editor at the Scientific Journal Annals of Advanced Biomedical Sciences, trained as a fitness instructor and a mother of twins. This is a fascinating two-part episode into immunity. What do we even mean by immunity? What does it encompass? What is the role of the immune system in the body beyond just fighting colds? And how do we support it if that is possible? I actually believe that the knowledge and the way we talk about uh, immunity is misguided and what I'm often asked is what can we do to boost or what supplements are there to increase my immune system activity whereas actually that's probably not what we want to do topics include fasting therapies autoimmune disease the definition of plant homesis, as well as the types of foods and lifestyle practices that are super important for immune health you're going to absolutely love this episode let's kick off So to make this show happen, we need a sponsor. And I'm always very careful about who I sponsor and what I promote. And I'm very proud to promote Mindful Chef to sponsor this show. Mindful Chef are fantastic. They make healthy eating easy and fun. They deliver these nutritionally dense recipe boxes for you to cook at home. They're all less than 30 minutes. There are about 16 new recipes every week. They are giving you 10 pounds off each of your first two boxes, plus a free cookbook. All you need to do is go to mindfulchef.com forward slash kitchen and order your first box and I'll throw in that cookbook as well. And it's just a very good way of starting your week right, adding some balance into your life. All the recipes are low in refined carbohydrates and they suit all diet types. So whether you're vegan or whether you like to have a little bit of meat into your diet, they're great. They a champion British produce and everything is organic and super, super good for you. I've actually had one of the boxes sent to me and I thought it was very easy to make. Uh, I had a, a vegetarian chili with like black beans and mushrooms and the spices were great. There was about three portions of veggies and it was just generally a very easy to use box. So if you're interested to get 10 quid off each of your first two boxes, so that's a total of 20 pounds. All you need to do is go to mindfulchef.com for slash kitchen and 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 order your first box. Jenna, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you, Rupi. Thanks for having
1: me. <laughs> this is—it's been a while since we've spoken, yeah. but we finally got a date yes, in the diary, exactly. and yeah, so I'm, I'm really, really excited about this episode. Yeah, I'm so I've been happy following to your be work here. for a little while as well. Thank and you. The first time we met was mm-hmm. at my book launch.
0: Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. We have a mutual friend, and I came along. I already had your book at that point. Oh, actually, did you? Oh, actually, okay, so, nice, okay. um It was nice to come and um, see you celebrate that moment. Yeah, it yeah. was a mutual
1: friend of ours, uh, John Payne, who's yeah. a photographer, and. Yeah. Um, yeah I remember him just saying oh yeah I brought my mate along yeah (laughs) yeah that's cool and then he told me you're an immunologist you're interested in lifestyle medicine I was like that's amazing that's great and even back then I was like I think I must have said to you, we should get you on the podcast. Yeah. That was back in January 2018. so long ago? So, yeah, 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 yeah. We're here now. Um, Finally made
0: it.
1: So <laughs> uh, we know a bit about you. We know that your uh, background is in immunology. Yep. How did you get into this space where you're interested in diet and lifestyle? Like, Do you have a personal story? Like, What's your background?
0: Yeah, I mean, I grew up in rural Scotland. So uh, I grew up on a farm and I look back and I think... Wow, that was a real privilege because it was very farm to table, and um my mum was a professional cook, so she told me how everything she knew about cooking, but it was also an area of like a lot of rural poverty, you know there mm-hmm. was a lot of industry closing, a lot of people that didn't have a lot and I think that what growing up in that environment gave me was knowing how to cook and make something from nothing and I think that's something that I think has been lost mm. in today's society where, whereabouts in rural Scotland was so it's in, in Ayrshire in a farm this is on the west coast
1: oh I don't know I haven't ventured really. west yeah <laughs> I've got to about it's very Feist, wet and I think that's about it yeah yeah
0: it's beautiful it's very wet there's not a lot there yeah. um, and we had a really small farm um,
1: and it sounds idyllic yeah <laughs> it does just imagine matter. this farm to table <laughs> <laughs> food your mum's a professional chef yeah, you're living off the land exactly
0: yeah. You know, she taught me... Because everything's quite seasonal, you know. We didn't have... The variety of like exotic fruits and vegetables, it was really like what
1: grew in that season. And you had I've to have seen fun. that. Scotland's got some amazing wild yes. fruits, haven't yes. they? Yes, yeah. And like yeah.
0: mushroom season, yeah. We're all over that. Berries that I never see here, like tay berries. They're like these giant
1: raspberries. Tay berries? I so, have you heard yeah. of that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I just grew up thinking I was normal. And then like I came to down south and no one's heard of those. So.
1: I've I come across this forager. I think it must have been on a TV program, like yeah. a cookery program, where he can mimic uh, different Exotic spices from all over the world, like coriander wow. and uh, Thai basil, yeah. from herbs foraged in Scotland. Oh my God! Yeah, I yeah. I could have looked house. this guy up. I'll put it on the show notes, but wow. it is incredible. And that that little snippet—I think it must have been on Sassy Kitchen or something. Yeah. That little snippet really made me think. I've got to go to Scotland. Oh, I've yes. really got to explore the different yeah. sort of culinary landscape. Yes.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think. Not always. Um, the food is the first thing that springs to mind as being healthy. Yeah. We have things like deep fried pizza, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But I think intrinsically the kind of real traditional diet um, of Scotland, you can find that it is is relatively good for you, and it's yeah, it follows the seasons. And my mum taught me a lot of how to process. You know, when you have all your root vegetables coming at the one time, how mm. do you store that so that they last over winter and you know, how to just open your cupboard with hardly anything there and, and suddenly make a meal from that. And I think those are great tools that yeah. that people need to, and perhaps have been lost a little bit.
1: Definitely. Um, you, like me, had a mother yeah. who was really into cooking and, yeah. and you know, food and, and, and yeah, trying exactly. different sort of like uh, types of cuisines yeah, as well. And exactly. that being instilled generation to generation, I think is something that is becoming yeah. less and less normal.
0: Exactly. I, ca- I can't help but think that there's something about the traditional way of life that we've lost like we very much were adapted to our environment because we had to be for survival and it's kind of like the modern world is great but have we thrown the bathwater out with the baby or the baby out with the bathwater (laughs) (laughs) you know what I mean it's like some of the elements of, of how we used to live Perhaps it might be quite useful now. I'm yeah, um, a little
1: bit lost. I love using that evolutionary perspective. Yes. Um, and yeah. I think that's going to definitely come into our conversation with yeah. immunity today. Yeah. Um, but taking that perspective like, okay, what are we adapted for? And yes. how do we manage the advantages and the benefits of modern living yeah. with how we are designed to live, yeah. both from a mental and a physical perspective? Exactly. As well.
0: I think when we unlock a lot of the secrets of evolutionary biology, it will yield a lot more in our understanding of why we are the way we are and then yeah. how to self-manage that to, to fit in with the modern environment because that's not changing. Yeah. You know, it's not going to go back to our rudimentary way of life Exactly. soon.
1: Yeah. I love that. But, and, um, and So she, you were based in Scotland and then you came yeah. all the way down. Yeah, to- so
0: for some reason as a child I had an obsession with health and disease. I was okay. just really curious about Maybe it was living on a farm, you see the circle of life, you know. When I was thinking about what to do when I left school, um, I'd heard about immunology and there was... A course at Glasgow University in the medical school where they just do immunology and it's very select. It's only 20 students. And I just thought, wow, this sounds really interesting. This sounds like this is the foundation of health and disease. And when I got there, I was like, amazing. I've Mm. found my people. This is what I want to do. And that was almost 20 years ago now. So I've just been in the field ever since. And I love it. And I think there's always more to learn.
1: Your passion definitely comes through on your blog, on your social social, um, posts, and um, some of the articles that you've done as well for for major magazines. But let's get into it. So I think, and this is something we were talking about before Mm -hmm. the show, that the vernacular around immunology is very misunderstood and it's misguiding I think for a lot of people because you'll you'll find lots of articles like you know these are the top herbs to boost your immune system and you know to to kill a cold and all this kind of stuff so I think we should strip it right back and actually talk about what we mean by immunity.
0: Yeah definitely I think that's really that's probably what got me you know talking about this um so much in the beginning just hearing so much misinformation Mm. um And I think that the first thing to say that the immune system is this huge complex web that's all over our body. It's found everywhere in the brain and all of your organs and your blood. And people like to think about it as being a single on-off switch. So you want to switch it on, fight infections, you know, create this force field that's going to keep you well and then switch it off again. And it's actually more like a series of different switches and you've got to have the right combination. So it's a bit like a restart that you're constantly adjusting to get it just right. But then something in your environment will change, the season changes, and then you have to kind of tweak it again. So it's not just an on-off switch. I think that's probably a hang-up from when people died from infection Mm. and that's maybe going back... 100 or so years ago, mm. um, people might not make it to old age because they would die of infection that we don't see just now. So yeah. we're constantly thinking and we'll switch on our immune system, be invincible yeah. to infection. But it doesn't quite work like that. And um, it's important to say that immunity is what makes us unique. So it's almost like your fingerprint. Even mm. in identical twins, their immune systems will be different. Um It's the way that the receptors are are recombined. There's a really unique way that the genes um, work to make the the sort of repertoire of what we call our immune cells and all the different things that they can sense, so viruses, bacteria. So every one of us is unique. And there's a kind of fundamental reason for that because, you know, if if you think about a room full of people and you you throw in a cold virus... Mm if they were all to get sick to the same degree, we'd probably have died out as a species yeah. by now. So yeah. there's there's a, a fundamental reason why we're, we're immunologically all different. Because, you know, some people might be more susceptible to bacteria. Some of us might be more susceptible to certain viruses or parasites. But if we're all the same, we wouldn't have survived. Mm. So there has to be that kind of um, uniqueness in our Im- immune system. I love that analogy, population. actually, because
1: yeah. that does tease out a lot about how... One thing might might work for some person. That could be diet, it could be medications, it could be any sorts of things, Um, and it might not do anything for the other person. And that uniqueness is something that I'm trying to bring out of people as well with the content I put out. It's it's about becoming the expert of not of health, of not nutrition, but your own health. Yes. And how that relates to you. So there's so much information, so much content, but really it's about filtering out that content and and deciding how does that help me in this situation. Yes,
0: exactly. And I think... That's another brings out another important aspect of the immune system is that it's always changing. Mm. It's not something that we're born with. I like to think of the immune system as something that's made. So you're born with a quite rudimentary immune system and you're reliant on a lot of what you've got from your mother, um, both through the placenta and then if you're breastfed. Um, and then your immune system really starts to develop from the moment that you're born. And it continues to develop and change throughout your lifetime into old age. So when people say, oh, I've got a really rubbish immune system, Mm -hmm. maybe at that moment in time because you've got a cold and you're feeling lousy, but, you know, it's not a fixed thing. There's things you can do to change it. And we know that only a fraction of what determines your immune system is in the genes. Mm -hmm. A lot of it is the environment, what you're doing, so things that you can actually um, be in charge of and yeah. manage by yourself.
1: So nutrition, being only one of those, but um, all sorts of lifestyle factors. Definitely, yeah. And we're definitely going to get into that. So your immune system, essentially, this complex uh, set of cells. Mm. I think a lot of people don't realise that anything that really protects you and uh, yes. helps your your innate sort of homeostatic mechanisms, yes. your your balancing mechanisms, yeah. is part of your immunity. Yes, so that exactly. could be the acid in your stomach. It could yeah. be your yeah. nasal hair. Yeah, your nostril, exactly. Your the mouth and secretions
0: on your skin. Exactly. So it's it's cells, it's molecules, it's it's those barriers to infection. If you think about where you're normally going to get an infection, it's it's breathing things in, or swallowing things, or through the skin. It's the the bits that are exposed and. It's not just for infection. I think this is, again, something that people don't think about. Um, it's also the main thing that's involved in repair and adaptation. So if you're going in and working out in the gym, your immune system helping your muscles adapt, repair and strengthen. It's involved in pregnancy and the success of, of carrying a child. Uh, it's, it's really a key part of the ageing process. Mm-hmm. It can really determine how well we age mm. and it's actually the main cancer surveillance that we mm. have in our body and i think that's again something that not many people think about
1: yeah i i like to i use the analogy in, in the next book e2b illness about how your immune system instead of being an aggressive military force yes it's yeah. like a peacekeeper yeah it's sort of like looking at where there needs to be a little bit more action yeah. a little bit more force and actually where we need to step back a bit yes because yeah. an immune system that is overactive that is boosted if boosted, you like yes. It's not a good thing. (laughs) No, exactly. And that's where we lead to people who are suffering with autoimmune issues, where your immune system essentially loses the capability to recognise friend from foe.
0: Yeah, exactly. I think that's really important. The immune system doesn't just recognise different pathogens, as we call them, so the bugs that are causing infection, but they recognise danger and damage the immune cells are intimately entwined with all our other systems in the body so they have um, receptors for uh, your sex hormones like oestrogen, progesterone, so they're affected by different um, fluctuations and those, also they have receptors for stress hormones like cortisol and the neurotransmitters so if you think about the complete picture then how you're feeling, your stress um, you know, the the different hormone times that um, maybe are going on for example in a woman's body Mm -hmm. this is all affecting your immune system as well so it's 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 like the sixth sense you know it's really helping us uh, manage our environment yeah. and and adapt to that.
1: Really I, I think that's a really good analogy actually being the, the, sixth, the sense, sixth sense. The sixth sense, that's how we yeah. like to think about and it. And already yeah. just from that description of just how complicated and intricate the system mm-hmm. is, you can understand why just taking a single supplement yes. is unlikely yeah. to be the silver bullet that magically improves your immune <laughs> system yeah. to fight off a cold or whatever you're going through at that point yeah. in time. So I think that's like already, you yeah. know, uh, a good understanding of, of why these things don't necessarily exactly. work. Exactly.
0: When I when I start teaching immunology uh, down at the University of Sussex the first time that the students get any kind of insight. I show them this huge web of all the the cell populations and the subpopulations and then like the subpopulations. Yeah. And you can just see, you know, the emoji of like the mind blowing. Um, they're like, what? It's it, There's so many different things going on and so many switches um, yeah. that anything to do with the immune system is going to be multifaceted. So there's going to be a lot of different things going in to give you a certain result. So that's the reason that there's not going to be one single supplement or thing that you can do that's gonna give you some kind of immune effect. It's always going to be multi pronged in your approach.
1: That description of all those different sort of immunological (laughs) factors brought back loads of painful (laughs) memories for me actually in medical school trying to figure out, oh God, like all these different like T regulatory cells and MHC complexes. Every year they discover
0: a new subset of a subset. <laughs> and then there's like the compliment system which is like
1: I actually had some there. people message me on Instagram and social media just saying can she just describe exactly what a compliment is what is MHC what are all these different sort of immunological yeah. factors you know it's quite funny actually there's a lot of medical students I think that follow me and they're just trying to get like yeah uh, some answers for their essays
0: I always think I'm, I've got to work really hard not to scare people off <laughs> immunology in the beginning because it does get really interesting later on
1: yeah, yeah. so now we kind I don't understand what the immune system is and you're suffering from a cold. I of know, moment. ironically. Somebody
0: said to me the other day, like, I didn't think you would get sick. <laughs> you're always talking about the immune system. Surely yeah. you should be invincible. This is something I
1: talk to patients about. It's like the mm-hmm. very fact that you're sick um and you have a temperature yeah. and you are uh, you know you have all these other sorts you have a cough, you yeah. have a tickle, you have a throat yeah. sensation shows you that your immune system is actually working. Yeah,
0: exactly. And it's about
1: changing your perspective yeah. from uh, one that is annoyed by the fact that you have a cold, yeah. which is I I get it is super annoying, but yeah. You should also be grateful and appreciative of the fact that your immune system is working. Yeah, exactly. And not everyone has an intact immune system yeah. that can tolerate that. And exactly. you're most likely going to be fine in a couple of days.
0: Yeah, that's the thing. Colds and flus are self-limiting. There's so many different varieties, which is why it's normal to get a few every year. And most of the time, you don't even realise your immune system is working. I mean, we live in this really microbial world and every day mm. it's just like fending things off. We don't even notice it. And every now and again, one might slip through the net. And then you get sick. And the symptoms are actually your immune system more than the actual infection in most cases. Mm. So they might be unpleasant, but you just gotta ride them out. Yeah. And this is again where I think like modern life is hard because you know, the general message is like go down the pharmacy, buy all the over the counter medications and then get to work and struggle through the day. Yeah. And um, if you actually maybe just took a day off or two and rested, you probably yeah. get over it a lot quicker. Exactly.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Our producers actually were talking about uh, some cold and flu <laughs> over the counter uh, medications. I was like, Oh, do what do you recommend this yeah. one? That? I don't. I can't remember what it was. It was some spray for yeah. the back of your throat? It's
0: really funny. Even though I tell this to my husband all the time, he loves himself one of those like you know that you put the hot water in and it's <laughs> like a paracetamol based <laughs> like decongestant <laughs> thing. I'm like that tastes disgusting. Yeah,
1: I know. Save yeah. Save
0: your money and <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> we'll talk rest. about that actually. With yes, the, the, exactly. Uh, the fever sort of um, yeah. balancing uh, medications and stuff. But yeah. now we know how complicated the system is and it's basically everywhere. Are yeah. there particular sites where the immune uh, system will dominate?
0: Yes. Well, I think the one that you can't escape is is the gut. Um, and I, a so was it wasn't
1: long a, until we're going to start talking yes, about the gut. Yes, exactly. Yeah. You, you
0: can't not, <laughs> not them talk about the gut when yeah. you talk about the immune system. They are completely dependent on each other. Um, and it's that dinner party fact of like, oh, did you know most of your immune systems in the gut? Well, it's true, and um, there's good reason for that. I think with a lot of things in biology, the the form follows the function, so the the structure of the digestive tract, the whole architecture, it's optimised for digestion to get the most out of your food. That creates a vulnerability, because it's actually the lining of your digestive tract is only one cell thick. So to me, that's like quite fragile. Mm. You know, there's there's all sorts of things going into your mouth every day. Mm. There's just the general bacteria and, and bugs that are in our environment that we're swallowing. Um, there's things that could be in our food that could make us sick. And just the food itself, how does the immune system know not to respond to that? So mm. because of that, there's maybe about 70 to 80% of your immune cells that line the, the digestive tract and they form all these kind of unique structures that have unique ways to keep a surveillance on what's going on. So that's really quite important. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I think that, that sort of... Um uh, the the very fact that the architecture is only one cell thick yeah. shows you why it's so important to have yeah. immune cells there. Exactly because we're in constant com- communication with our environment yeah. via our thirty centimeter long yeah. um, uh, digestive sac or the, the first part of it anyway, um, and and that's why you know it's it's, it's just a natural evolution yes. as to why we have yeah, immune cells exactly. in those areas.
0: Yeah, and and you know I think it's such a portal for um, infection. You know that we have to have those defenses there. Mm. It's interesting then to talk about the microbiome of the gut. This is getting a lot of airtime. People are getting more aware of the microbiome. And what we do know that if you do not have a microbiome, then your immune system does not develop. It's mm. it's completely uh, reliant on the colonization after birth of our microbiome to develop fully. So I think that's what, another reason why we should take care of our gut microbiome.
1: Mm, yeah. It's um, one of those reasons why we're seeing with uh, C-sections and yes. versus natural delivery yes. and those babies who have C-sections are more at risk yes. of having ATP so allergic yeah. reactions and issues yeah. like asthma and eczema and stuff like that definitely. not to say that that's a definite uh, no. you know, it's a definite case study that you, you're definitely going to get asthma yeah. but uh, you're certainly more at risk because of the um, issues with poor yeah. microbial development in the yeah, uh, infant exactly. digestive Yeah exactly
0: and um, there's a lot of work trying to unpick those mechanisms because I think that's going to be really important to understand. Mm. That leads quite nicely on to the point that much of your immunity is actually set up in childhood. So many people who might be thinking, oh, I've got a terrible immune system perhaps there are elements of what happened in those very early years Mm. that have had downstream consequences and I think it's always helpful to think about what you can affect and you know instead of focusing on oh I was a c-section baby or I wasn't breastfed or uh, these things it's you know you can't change those so it's Mm. better to think about what we can change.
1: Exactly I have a lot of patients actually in general practice who uh, over the last 20 years of their life um, young patients 20 or 30 years they had recurrent illnesses as kids yeah. and you can almost map a pattern with antibiotic use and c-section and and not yeah. breath and all the other factors beyond yeah. just uh, nutrition and, and medications yeah. that may have led to them having issues with their guts or yes. issues with eczema dry skin and a, a whole spectrum of different uh, diseases yes because of uh, a poor microbial environment that isn't to say that they are they're sentenced to that for life but there are certainly things that we'll end up talking about about how we can actually encourage microbial development yeah
0: you might just have a different set point because of those early events that happen because you're you're more or less sterile when you're born Mm. um and then you're subsequently colonized as soon as you enter into this microbial world and it's 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 useful to think of it as, you know, the microbes were there before us, so we've evolved with them. We Mm. have to find a way to sort of have a a mutual relationship. So Mm. they actually do quite a lot for us in the gut. Um, They themselves are part of our immune defense. So we we talk about the microbial barrier because they out-compete with any bad bacteria that could be coming in through the mouth and not giving them any space. Um, And they also make sure that those, that delicate barrier of our, our gut is really strong and really tight. Um, And this is in the area of where I used to actually do a lot of research on when I was in Switzerland, is this whole idea of leaky gut, which I think yeah, is one of those kind yeah. of woo-woo terms. It
1: is, yeah. yeah. But it's, 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 it's weird because if you type in leaky gut yes. into like PubMed, you'll, you won't get much. No. But if you type in intestinal hyperpermeability, <laughs> Bility, yeah. that's when you get, oh, okay, there is actually a yes. lot of science behind yeah. this. Yeah. Exactly.
0: The science has sort of always been there and I guess the leaky gut term kind of existed in a parallel woo-woo world and yeah. now the two are kind of converging. And, um, mm, yeah. yeah. So you've actually
1: done some research in that.
0: Yeah. So that was uh, a lot of the work when I, I worked out in Switzerland, mm-hmm. um, trying to understand. So I actually worked for a pharmaceutical company. I wasn't making drugs, but they employed me to try and understand what was going on in a normal situation in the gut, in terms of the immune system, to try and figure out, okay, what happens when that's perturbed? And then can we intervene with something? So they were kind of hoping that I would give them some drug targets, but I was just like, oh, this is amazing. (laughs) I can unpick the science, what's going on? And sometimes you have to know what's happening in normal situation to know how that goes wrong.
1: And in a normal situation, those tight junctions that exist between these uh, these one cell thick uh, lining, epithelial cells they increase and they decrease, right? They yes. become more leaky and they become less yeah. leaky. But I mean, that's normal.
0: That's normal. I think that's mm. a really important thing to point out because people can get very confused if they start mm. doctor Googling leaky gut. Yeah. But it is a normal physiological phenomenon. There's actually certain um, components of our diet that can exacerbate that leakiness. Mm -hmm. Um, The two really well-known ones are are fat, and particularly saturated fat, and the fructose from Mm -hmm. fruit sugars. Mm -hmm. But that's not to say that we should avoid those things because there's actually a lot of evidence that if you're consuming fat or saturated fat or fructose with Mm fibre and with phytonutrients, that is actually fueling the bacteria in your gut, your microbiome to produce particular things short chain fatty acids being one of those that help seal up the gut again mm-hmm. so it's actually quite useful to open the gut when you're digesting food to facilitate the whole uh, digestion and getting the nutrients into the body and then the fiber helps to shut it back back up again
1: so would you say it's less about h- having a leaky gut or yeah. having a, a, a permeability of your gut and more about the timing of how long you expose yes those tight junctions to be open, essentially, uh, versus closed.
0: Yes, I think that's the picture that's starting to emerge. And that, I think, ties in quite nicely to dietary patterns um, rather than focusing on specific nutrients. Mm. So um, how many times a day we're opening up the gut? And one of the reasons that opening the gut up is, is detrimental for the body is because the, the microbiome that lives inside our gut can slip through those holes Mm. into the bloodstream and all around the body and while those are considered good bacteria because they live in the gut and they do a lot of good things for us when they get in the wrong place they're just the same as any other bad bacteria Mm. they have the same molecular patterns on them that send an alarm signal to the immune system, they switch on inflammation Um, and this can all be happening at a sort of low level that you wouldn't perhaps even be aware of there Mm. is sort of no firm signs and symptoms of this going on but I think cumulatively over a long period of time yeah. Then it could be that we start to see some some damage going yeah. on and, and things springing up.
1: It's so qu- it's, I think it's quite important for for the listeners to understand that um, your immune system is very much related to the inflammation response. Yes. And it's uh, essentially mediated by the immune system. So when you need to have uh, a response to uh, a bacterial infection, a virus, or, or even yes. normal colonization of your, of your gut, yeah, um, it will elicit this inflammatory response. Yeah. And as I suppose it goes back to this timing it's like okay you can have a little bit of inflammation when you eat because that is very normal yes yeah but when you when you're eating for long periods of time so actually when you're grazing or when yeah. you're having the wrong sorts of foods and it's this constant sort of yeah
0: um,
1: exposure that's when you have this low grade inflammation yes, exactly to meta-inflammation yeah. in the literature that um, can lead to uh, ill health outcomes yes and yes. I think inflammation is just another topic that yes we really need to spend I know another podcast yeah I mean
0: I, I think the one key thing maybe to talk about with regard to inflammation is that it's it's acute by design so it's only ever supposed to be a short-term thing Mm. and then if it's happening all the time it starts to take its toll on the body Mm. and we we call it chronic so it's more of a long-term thing but um, yeah the the leaky gut thing I think people shouldn't be concerned about Uh, it's normal but I think that you there's things you can do to prevent leaky gut and fibre and phytonutrients are two of the proven ways that we know help tighten it up again.
1: Yeah, sorry. I was going to yeah. say it
0: ties in quite nicely with some of the work that's coming out about time-restricted eating Yeah. and consolidating eating into certain times of the day rather mm. than the, the snacking yeah. constantly because eating is, is inflammatory and again that's normal but you don't want to be doing it all the time yeah. because it's just another load that your body has to deal with. Absolutely.
1: So. When I talk about eating being inflammatory, it just <laughs> raise a lot of alarm bells when <laughs> I was like, eating causes inflammation. Everyone's like, what? I think but, uh, about it
0: everything through like the scientific lens. So uh, to me, it's, it's normal because I know what I mean. But yeah. I think when you say it to other people, they're like, oh, you know, uh, it's, it's not that you shouldn't eat, but maybe yeah. think about <laughs> how you're eating. Um, and again, I think it just plays into modern life. Like, it's hard to sit down and have a meal. Um, mm. Um, and it's it, you know everything is rushing. Everything around us tells us to snack. So I, I lived in Switzerland for, for a long time, and I came back to the UK two years ago, and I was kind of like, this is this, everything is prepackaged into little things, f- telling you that you need to eat on the go, and that that doesn't really happen in Switzerland. I found it quite a strange observation, like coming back to the UK, and and you have to also think about the environmental impact of that because they're all wrapped in single-use plastic. Like, do we need to have so many little snack bars and yeah. snack pots and you know everything? I is- think
1: that's one of the many factors that could potentially explain the French paradox. So yes, everyone looks definitely. at the macronutrient combination. Oh, they have loads of saturated fat. They have loads of you know meat yes. in the diet, but actually they spend an hour for lunch
0: yes, and this whole yeah.
1: concept of grab and go sandwiches yeah. is just not there and I yeah. think the process of eating and uh, the sense that they get uh, around lunchtime being their time yes, is yeah. very telling for yeah. why they might have lower rates of uh, cardiovascular Definitely. disease and, and despite other kind of having
0: some of the dietary red flags I, I really noticed this in Switzerland which again is a country that has a um, um, really good health span um, and it's a, it's a different set up to the UK so you can't really compare but um, I was working for a large company and they had this huge campus um, and at 11.30 the Swiss always started really early at 11.30 every day troop down to the, the different restaurants and stuff on the campus to have lunch and everybody ate together and lunch was like one hour an- one hour one and a half hours and the canteen was only open between like 11.30 and 1 so you had to eat in that window um, and and you know my colleagues were having like a Roche thing which is like the fried potato <laughs> covered in cheese with a fried egg on top oh my God. bacon um, there'd always be some dessert or cake then coffee but it was like a whole like process everybody got away from their desk Yeah. and in the beginning I found this like I can't eat this for lunch <laughs> it's just like, sounds like
1: Christmas <laughs> yeah, lunch exactly. every day yeah um,
0: Um, But, you know, none of my colleagues were very unfit or, you know, looked uh, overweight or, you know, everybody um, was very active as well as part of the culture and the lifestyle. But um, I think it's, yeah, the the snacking culture is not served as well. And it's hard to kind of put your finger on what it is about it. But um, I'm really convinced that this is not um, helping us in some sense. And if we can get back to something a bit more traditional, a bit more boring, maybe it's going to be a bit useful. I
1: think using that evolutionary perspective about around time-restricted eating, or as yeah. I like to call it, defined periods of eating, yes. it sounds a little bit less intrusive, a little bit less, yeah. little bit less like, uh, you know, restrictive. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, some really interesting research coming out from yes. uh, all the West Coast of America uh, looking at time-restricted feeding, where you don't change the calorific content of your no, food at no, all, exactly. you just change when you eat yeah. it. Yeah. It's a very actionable tool a lot of people and it's something that I talked about in my first book The Doctors' Kitchen but also in my second book Eat To Be Illness where you know that as a principle of healthy eating just the timing of food is something that could potentially have very good effects
0: yeah exactly I think we're just so over the time of restriction like adding that restriction onto your life if you're trying oh I will only have this really low calorie salad that's not going to satisfy me for lunch and leave me just thinking oh I want to eat all the food all Mm. afternoon I think that the it's not. It's not been helpful, and we have to move away from that and start enjoying foods. Mm. Definitely, in terms of um, the immune system, there's evidence that endorphins are really helpful in how the immune system works. So if you're going on holiday and you find that you might have, if you have an autoimmune disease or an allergy or some kind of food intolerance, it might suddenly become a lot better when you go on holiday. And you just attribute that to eating a different kind of food. But it might be because you're happy when you're eating. And it actually boosts these regulatory T cells that we have in our body that, that sort of gently tap the brakes on the immune system and keep it in check. So I think there's a lot to be said for like, you know, how you're feeling when you're eating and what you're doing in your day to day life. So definitely managing yeah, I mean, the stress. Even
1: on an anecdotal level, yeah. like you know, I have patients that come in and they're they they're stressed at work, yes. they're working long hours. Uh, obviously there's there's loads of confoundings in the fact that they're probably reducing their sleep, yes. and they're probably not eating right. Yeah. But certainly stress uh have an impact on the likelihood of you have suffering a viral illness. Yeah, it is certainly there in my opinion. Yes,
0: definitely. Yeah, yeah no, there is there is evidence to to suggest that. I mean in, in the short term much these stressors are quite useful for the immune system Mm. they clear out a lot of inflammation and they can actually get rid of a lot of old and aging cells and give space for new cells Mm. because we have this concept in immunology of the immunological space so you can only have so many immune cells in your body at one time and as we get older they start to age you want to get rid of some of the old ones bring in some of the new ones and stresses like Running away from something, and and um, or some really short intense exercise, or something that is quite stressful but very acute, that can actually be quite beneficial for the immune system. But when it becomes either a chronic long-term stress, so you have to care for a sick relative, or um, or short intermittent stresses, so lots of frequent times when you're becoming stressed, it's maladaptive. So the immune system actually becomes less responsive to that mm. cortisol effect, yeah. and you lose the benefits of sort of more acute stresses to the overall health of the immune system.
1: I've um, I've been coming across a lot of research looking at um, fasting as well as uh, time yes. restricted eating yes. and, and its impacts on the immune system through the lens of not only um, autoimmune issues yeah. and uh, diabetes in terms of therapeutics but uh, also cancer as well. Yes. Um, yeah. Which I think I mean first it's, to caveat it, it's a, there's very small research studies. It's, it's very it's not uh, practice at the moment. It's not no. in um, uh, first line practice, and obviously a lot of people who have issues around eating, disordered yes. eating, shouldn't certainly not engage in any fasting practices. Having said that, it is quite interesting from an yeah. immunological, immunological perspective. Yes,
0: definitely. I think the research coming out is really exciting and I'm really curious to see how that evolves. Um, it is very experimental at the moment, but again, fasting is considered another stress on the body. so the immune system is highly dependent on all nutrients um, so all the macros it needs protein and um, carbohydrates and fats and all your vitamins and minerals these are all necessary to help the normal running of the immune system and they're really good at sensing nutrient status so they know what's going on and they can respond appropriately and different nutrient sort of profiles in the body or metabolic profiles can seem to influence the fate of immune cells to go down either more regulatory paths or more inflammatory paths. So it seems to be like manipulating that could help um, redirect the immune system away from being quite uh, an autoimmune phenotype. So help people with that. Also, uh, fasting in itself will kill off any vulnerable immune cells. So as they age... Yeah. um they're more likely to go wrong like anything with time you know as your car gets older it's more likely to be a bit faulty mm. and um sometimes there is a time where you just you know it's it's um, it's time to change the car. times. Change, <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Get rid of that, and and things like fasting, so reducing nutrient availability, makes those kind of older cells a bit more vulnerable, and they're more likely to pop and yeah. um, go through apoptosis, which is this process that removes them, and then you have more space to repopulate uh, with new immune cells. Yeah. So.
1: I, I like this because uh, there's lots of arguments for and against it, right? So yes. the process of fasting upregulating autophagy, which is yes. the self-regulation where you clear out the old dead yeah, cells, senescent exactly. cells that yeah. are sort of like hanging around, they yeah. don't really doing much, they're not really functioning, More but they to and go then they, exactly, yeah. and they emit like mild inflammation signals, yeah. and you know that that can so clearing that is it's great, and then mm-hmm. also going back to what we were talking about, where you essentially give your gut a break, yeah. Um, digestion, the tight junctions, that can also reduce your immune cell response but then also conversely if you're not eating then your bacteria not being uh, provided with a food source yes. and they could uh, essentially yeah. start damaging the lining exactly. of your gut. So yeah. Everyone's like, what do I do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, do I fast? or I not fast? <laughs> exactly.
0: And, <laughs> I think it's finding that sweet spot and we don't we don't know what that is. Um, Yeah, so I the, think the, the microbiome is a really important point because your, your gut is lined with mucus which is essentially like a kind of carbohydrate source. So if they haven't got any food, eventually they just start eating the mucus which is part of our defence. It's a barrier and then once that goes your your gut lining is more vulnerable but there's definitely a window whereby mm-hmm. fasting is having the beneficial effects before it tips over into the um, more negative effects Exactly. and there's a lot of yeah. speculation as to how many hours or days that you yeah. should be fasting to give you this sort of reboot and I think the truth is that we don't know conclusively yeah. and, and we're not able to sort of dish out that um, to patients or the general public yet but I think there's a lot of trials and a lot of, a lot of things are going to come out there's a, there's a
1: lot of self-experimentation i'm finding of researchers themselves mm-hmm. who are trying to experiment with, with fasting i haven't done it yet myself yeah. but i'd be super interested to see what the effects are but actually conducted like an experiment so yes. measuring my uh my um, vitals before and after and yeah. some inflammatory markers and, and the rest of it but i think it's going to be really really hard uh, just looking forward to demonstrate what the sweet spot is yes. for the general population, it might
0: be quite a unique thing, exactly. individual to the person. The age of the person might be quite important as well. Yeah, as well, so. yeah. As well um, and
1: that's before we even think about like the mental health impacts yeah. as well. Of, yeah, like, exactly. Declining yourself to have food when there's so much food around yeah. and that that could potentially for certain people serve to increase your cortisol response increase yes, your stress around exactly. food and actually lead to an overall negative effect yes. which is something you have to balance but uh, that's why I'm just a big fan of the defined eating period yes
0: yeah I mean that's something <laughs> I've been doing for quite a long time now and I do it with my kids as a practice of getting them used to knowing what a meal is yeah. that we sit down and we enjoy our food and we talk and it's, it's family time um, rather than being like oh you, you only eat at these times of the day but yeah. they know what breakfast lunch and dinner is mm and gently kind of, um not put them in a situation where they think it's normal to snack all day so yeah, we're just exactly. kind of, and making meal times like a happy time that yeah. Because there was this
1: myth, wasn't there, like, you know, if you graze a little bit throughout yeah. the whole day, it'll increase your metabolic well, energy yeah, and yeah. then reduce your weight and all the rest of it. But generally what I mean by defined eating periods are anywhere between ten and twelve hours yes. in the day yeah. where those are the times when you eat. Yeah. And everything around that you try and keep clear, yeah. obviously within reason. For example, today's Friday, I'm yeah. gonna go out for dinner with a couple of my Lovely. friends I haven't seen for about a month. <laughs> and uh, yeah. we're going to eat.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, Wednesday night I had a Christmas party and you know I was eating dinner way later than normal because yeah. I, I normally eat with my kids so it's quite early that they have dinner. But you know that's that's the thing the beauty of doing everything most of the time uh-huh. that you've got that buffer for you know when you let your hair
1: down. Yeah.
0: It was interesting recently I was writing an article around this whole hypothesis about the inflammatory load of the gut and um I was trying to find out why we have these guidelines to eat little and often and this dogma mm. that is really in people's heads that they can't go more than three hours because, you know, like something terrible will happen <laughs> if I don't get food. And <laughs> and I was trying to figure out where that had come from, what it was based on. And most of it was just kind of assuming that we could stabilise insulin levels ah, by, my. you know, having the food kind of little and often. And there was no sort of hard, fast evidence on any other reason or why why that sort of evolved and it's just one of those things that people must have thought that seems sensible and uh, no one ever stopped to think whether that is actually the best guideline That's really strange
1: because actually if you look at some fasting studies and I think they go back really far uh, because it's quite unethical to to (laughs) maintain fasting for these patients but they would go weeks and weeks of of just not having any food and they were maintaining a glucose level because you essentially go into a state where you start burning your fat but then when you're running out of fat you're also burning your protein so you're maintaining a glucose level because Glucose is fundamentally one of the most important yeah. uh, fuel sources yeah. we have for all of our cells in the body. Yeah. So even if you're not taking in glucose, your body is still adapted yeah, to having exactly. a glucose level. So this whole process of like eating little and often to maintain glucose it a, a, and an insulin yeah. level that's low, like doesn't doesn't seem think, to make sense. Well,
0: if I if I haven't eaten and I. I have energy stored on my body. My body just needs to know how to use it. And yeah. that's an adaptation and that, you know, is something that you need to, to be able to do and yeah, I think we've kind of lost touch with our intuition about eating. Absolutely. Yeah. Something I definitely noticed moving back from Switzerland to the mm. UK. Mm. There everything felt quite intuitive. Um, you know, people were eating these huge lunches and I remember <sighs> saying to my colleague Sven, like, you know, what do you what do you have for dinner? And he's like, Well, you know, in winter, I'd have maybe a soup, and then in the summer, maybe a salad. Ah, okay. Around like five, six o'clock when he got home. But he'd right. had this huge, huge lunch. And yeah. there, was, there was nowhere to snack in the, in the whole campus. You know, there was maybe one or two vending machines that you could find somewhere and, you know, that would have food available. But the, the, the restaurants and the canteen would just literally open during lunch and then shut again. And it yeah. was kind of just like, that's normal because that's lunchtime and there was not the kind of um grazing it's definitely uh, like
1: what it's like here there's yeah. like 10 stores where you can get any sorts of food and after i just that. think you have
0: to cut through the noise and think what are my needs do i need all these little plastic pots of snacks all the time or you know can i wait till lunch exactly, and have something yeah. substantial that's not going to make me feel like i want to eat again before dinner
1: I'm sure you agree that was a super in-depth look at the immune system and we're not done yet. So make sure you subscribe to The Doctor's Kitchen to make sure you don't miss the second part where we talk more in depth about the actual foods and lifestyle practices that are going to be exceptionally important for supporting your immune health. If there's any recipe that I can actually advise on the basis of what our discussion was today, it would be the medicinal broth from the doctor's kitchen book one. It's a fantastic, easy recipe to make, particularly if you're feeling a bit under the weather and it has all those different polyphenols and variety of colors that will support your immune system. You can find Dr. Jenner at drjennermachoki.com also on Twitter at Dr. Mac and on Instagram, Dr. Jenna Machoke. She's got some great articles on her website. I highly recommend you check this out. And they will be on the show notes on thedoctorskitchen.com. Make sure you subscribe to The Doctor's Kitchen and give this podcast a five-star review. It really does help people who might need the information. Find it on iTunes and all your other podcast players. See you next time.